This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And welcome everybody into the Mind Sculptors. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. I'm your host, Callahan. Uh, back again joining us is uh, all the way from uh, that place up north is uh, Pongo. I guess you're the most farthest north. Pongo, how's it going? That's uh, going well. Awesome. Uh, I'm so glad to have you back. Uh, we've... Yeah, thanks for acknowledging my latitude. Yeah, you are you are much farther north than the rest of us, I, I believe. Um, um, but there's also also in that uh, country up north is uh, our good friend Morgan. Morgan, how's it going? Well, Spleen Face, uh, how's it going, Spleen? It's going all right. Awesome. Um, and also coming back again is uh you know him as the the madman himself uh our good friend cobblepot he's back uh cobble how's it going it's good to be here going well good um you know it's it's funny i was just talking to uh my grandparents on the phone yesterday and they live not too far from where you do and uh the snow where you're at is wild right now isn't it yes it we had 15 inches just a couple of days ago and we, I mean, there's lots of, just because we're, we're by where the lake is, we get, you know, a yeah. ton of lake effect snow, but it also means that people are, the cities are prepared for it. So it's not that bad. Yeah. Out here in Nebraska, if we got that much snow, the world would come to a stop. Um, <laughs> yeah. Washington DC, if they get half an inch, they have to like, you know, shut down school and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, here in Nebraska, the, the thing that's wild is they don't put the plow, the plows all the way down on the ground um, because for some reason. So you'll always have like snow that builds up underneath on the roads. So the roads are always a nightmare to drive on. Um, so hopefully they get that together this year. But uh, with that I mean, being you damage the roads less, makes the, <laughs> the, the maintenance cheaper, right? I mean, it does but you also you know also have people you know sliding into you know stoplights and stuff like that <laughs> so uh it, it was we we had two winters ago when we first moved here the city of lincoln just ran out of money for salt which i don't know how that's possible but they just ran out of salt and they were like all right well that's it we don't have any more, so the they didn't have any CEDH players getting. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. They didn't have a big enough CEDH scene, right? <laughs> Generally, yeah, they're underrepresented in uh, the Nebraska area, Lincoln. At Evidently. Least. Well, um, you know, last week we uh, started off a conversation. I remember our initial plan uh, was to talk about all ten of the color combinations. Um, in one episode, and it uh, very quickly became apparent that that was not going to be uh, feasible. That was uh, a bad plan. It was right. a bad plan. We learned our lesson. Uh, so, Speaking of salt. 
we very quickly pivoted onto just doing the wedges last week. So now we're here for a follow-up episode, and uh, we're going to be talking about the shards this week. Um, so uh, the shards, these are all the way back. They originated. These are the these are the two allies and an enemy color combinations, right? Yeah. Or is it uh, two enemies and an ally? Yeah, it would be two allied pairs and an enemy pair. Okay. Right. Um, so these are the 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 slices of the color pie, specifically from um, Shards of Alara, if you're not familiar with the set. And uh, we're going to be talking about them today. Uh, starting off for that is going to be uh, Spleen Face, and he's going to be talking about Bant. And, uh, you know, probably one of the most... Uh, famous Bant cards in all of Magic might be Noble Hierarch, uh, but even more famously in, um, you know, CEDH, there's Derevi. Uh, so, Spleen with, with Is Bant... There, though? <laughs> I, I was bracing myself for, <laughs> right. for some kind of shade. Yeah. So, I, I, I wanted to, but I just couldn't find anything, like, snappy enough to throw your way, so you're clear. It's okay. He's going to talk about Chu Lane. That's how it's pronounced, yeah. right? Exactly. Oh, I'm not. I'm not convinced that I'm cleared yet. But <laughs> so, so for now, yeah. Bant is uh, a, a color combination that definitely uh, has a lot of history in EDH. Uh, in CDH specifically, for a very long time, um, Derevi was kind of the go-to stacks deck, um, and then obviously Bant is a very uh, popular combination in like slightly lower powers you know there's like the sort of band like good stuffy decks um which is it's sort of the best um it's one of the best color combinations for uh like creature synergy decks um and there's a lot of very powerful tools that enable that um you know we spent a decent amount of time last uh, episode talking about the green tutors and how the incredible access that green gives to creatures doesn't really have a parallel in any other color combination and means that you can actually like you can play with the expectation that you're regularly tutoring non-win con pieces mm -hmm. in a way that's like much less available in other colors um and with other permanent types um and so, yeah, Derevi uh, has been a CDH commander since it was printed in 2013. There you go. I said it, Pongo. Are you happy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was biting his tongue for a bit there. But it, I said it. it came you out. know what? It's <laughs> um, bleeding. It, so it lost a decent amount of ground with the mulligan changes, which made the stacks decks in general a lot less good because they're in many ways, opening hand dependent, because if you get your stacks out a turn too late, like if you have to spend a turn tutoring for it, or whatever, then it can often be too late to actually make a difference. People got out what they needed to get out, and now that you play Trinosphere, and they already have five or six mana, it's like, oh, well, this isn't nearly as helpful. Um, but obviously, uh, the ability to come back from the command zone, specifically for Derevi, was, was very strong. Um... In terms of other bank commanders, there hasn't really been a lot going on. So we got uh, Hullen from the Brawl decks with Throne of Eldraine, and he's um, 
he certainly has a much easier time comboing than Derebi because his combos, uh, like, there's they're much more layered uh, in that you can just sort of throw in, like, several different lines and all the pieces fit together. And Shrieking Drake does nonsense things with, like, half of the cards in the deck. Um, well, although he, I guess... He also, like, he's, a, he's an outlet in and of himself. Yeah, right? and he's an outlet because he, he also that. draws you cards... Um, which yeah powerful value engine even when you're not comboing yeah Yeah. Um, but he's five mana which is obviously a lot Um, but as you know so some of the some of the uh, weaknesses we see in Bant are things that we've seen uh, you know talking about what not having colors means last uh, week so again no black means that you don't have the same sort of tutor density which does mean that closing games out is still kind of a challenge unless you have, you know, <laughs> something like your five mana super grind engine that's like the biggest target in the world. <laughs> out. Um, and, you know, you like, you'll often see Bant decks running like some really not great tutors just to try and have have access to various different things like you know, you, you play Spellseeker so that you can turn your creature tutors into stuff. Um, occasionally people have even played, like, the Transmute cards. Um, if you have a specific win con that's at a CMC, uh, particularly Drift of Phantasms, because you can find it with creature tutors. Um, and because you aren't in good Thassa's Oracle colors, you're often looking at some sort of... Uh, some sort of permanent-based win con rather than, like, a stack-based win con. Um, but you do still have blue, which means you can protect that somewhat more easily than you can in color combinations like Mardu or Abzan. Um, I don't think it's totally fair to say that you can't win with Thassa's Oracle. I mean, for crying out loud, man, you can play Paradigm Shift in that deck. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess a weakness of Bant is that it encourages you to play Paradigm Shift. Right. <laughs> or other bad cards. Um, no, so... so um, Historically, there was also... There were a few different um, Flash Hulk brews when, when Flash was legal that did actually typically use um, like the breakfast combo and then, I guess... There was only a brief period of time where Thassa's Oracle was legal, and Thassa's Oracle and Flash were legal, um, and I mean, at that time, anything that wasn't Thrasios Timna Oracle Hulk was <laughs> not seeing a ton of development, uh, the dark times, but uh, yeah, like, the, it is, you are in breakfast combo colors, but unfortunately, lacking Dread Return uh, makes actually winning a little awkward a lot of the time uh, with those sorts of combos. Um, they're certainly because, not free. Yeah, yeah, they're certainly not free. I guess also, <laughs> I can I can shill my own hilariously outdated brew. Kestia also saw some play specifically by me in a Flash Hulk <laughs> deck at the time. And don't, um, don't forget uh, Nathan Jones' Feldegriff. Uh, yeah, Hippo Hulk. <laughs> yeah, Hippo Hulk yeah. deck. Yeah, the the version of Kestia that didn't draw cards in the command zone, but was actually fun. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, there has been some experimentation with ban- Flash Hulk in the past, but obviously Flash being banned now, um, and then not having Black for, like, sack outlets and necromancy and that sort of stuff uh, meant that Bant Hulk sort of just ceased to exist. Um, so yeah, it's it's in some interesting colors. You know, we, we talked about sort of white having got not a whole lot recently. Um, and I think, like, that has that has made Bant sort of less popular because, like, blue and green are still very strong, but now if you're looking to play three colors, then you're looking... Like, if you're playing blue and green, picking between black, red, or white as your third color, it's, like, really hard to right. go, yeah, I should pick white here. Um, right. And, and yeah. it's very interesting because, like... So, and I and I play like a lot of historic and a lot of um, I used to play a lot of modern, um, but a lot of historic and standard specifically right now on arena and like and this is why I think it's very interesting because we we talk a lot about how this is a competitive format, but you almost have to rewire some of your competitive understanding for CEDH to an extent uh, because like in in those formats like Bant is really 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 good right like you have uro you have you had i guess i should say uh like uh three fairy um what'd you say oko oko yeah oko yeah i mean you've had all of these really good tools um and these just incredibly efficient cards um lotus cobra got reprinted into standard and destroyed it for a minute um i mean and so I would it's fair to say that like new people to CEDH would immediately be drawn to it because in other formats it is pretty successful. Um but it's also it, quite successful at lower power levels in EDH. Right. But I think right. white is kind of the least combo-y color in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um and CEDH it like when you're trying to be as efficient as possible uh, that comes down to combo just a massive amount of the time because Combos are as easy as they are to pull off in 1v1 20 life formats. Right. But killing people other ways is a lot harder to pull off a lot of the time. Right? Like, an infinite combo wins the game. Or, like, Labman wins the game, no matter how many opponents you have. But when you're trying to play, like, maybe, like, a tempo deck, or, like, you're just ramping into these, like, efficient threats... Like, that, that doesn't translate in CDH, right? Like, you cast Hydroid Crisis, you draw two cards, you have a 4-4 four, four flyer. Right. And then your opponent kills it, and in in standard, that's like, oh, well, basically I'm up two cards on that exchange. Right. Wait, and, wait. Why aren't, why aren't we casting an infinitely or, you know, arbitrarily large Hydroid Crisis off of food chain mana? Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Well, yeah, well like, but... <laughs> but that's the point, right? Like, is that... You know, the logic in, uh, like, standard, for instance, would be, oh, I can just slam this Hydra Crisis on two. If it even gets removed, that's fine. I'm up one card uh, because they, you know, wasted removal on it. Whereas here, you're almost down one card, right? Because two people haven't used a card on it. So it's it's this... and So all of that to say, you know... It's such a very interesting color to me because 
to somebody who is coming from a different competitive format and is interested at CEDH, initially you would th- they they would be drawn to some of these. You know, I have a I have a friend who uh, in our local modern meta is an extraordinarily accomplished blue white control player. Um, so when he initially started playing, he wanted to build like um, Grand Arbiter, Lavinia, sort of things, and then he quickly realized. Oh, this is just harder to do in EDH than it is to do in one v one, and it's, so it's all the relative math is different when you have multiple players right. instead of just two. Right? It, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. The band decks we've seen in like modern or standard or historic or pioneer, they've all been like very efficient. But right. like CDH isn't a format about efficiency the same way. Where like playing a card that's like a bit of a, you know, maybe slightly less of a threat, but it draws a card is like not going to get you there eventually because the threat density is extremely low. Like the number of cards in the CDH deck that like actually end the game is like five. And then the rest of it's just jockeying for position. So like getting the slight edge on every card that you play doesn't translate into a win unless you can find one of those ways that you actually have of ending the game. And and to speak to Cobble's point about the relative math being very different, you know, if we talk about 1v1, you know, we're talking about contexts where a two-for-one can happen and is often on its own game-winning. Um, but a two-for-one is almost, like, essentially unachievable in CEDH. Right. Like, how do you actually do that? Um just because when you talk about, you know, the relative expenditure of cards compared to, you know, three opponents as opposed to one opponent, you're never really trading one card, you know, and, and going up two cards relative to one player um, or going up one card in the exchange, let's say. Um, you know, you always have two other opponents to be concerned about. So and you're you're never really playing these attrition value-oriented games. Right. Yeah. And a, a, the equivalent another, is like a three for zero. Like if you remove one thing from each opponent and draw a card, that's right. like the equivalent of a two for one in in uh, in one v one. Right. Uh, another way that the math being different kind of works out is that you've got three players that you're playing against that all have removal and all have counter magic. So when you're trying to assemble a win con, especially a win con that has permanence. And like is is manifest here in, in Bant especially, um, your your surface area that you're exposing to opponent interaction is is much more vulnerable when you have three opponents as opposed to when you only have one. So if you're trying to put together a breakfast combo, you've got basically three permanents that you're trying to assemble. You know you've got to get Nomads and Cephalos Delusionist in play, and then be able to get your Oracle into play, and then respond to that with the first two. So there's three things that you have in play that all need to, you know, they're, they're all moving pieces that all have a target on them and any one of them can be interacted with to stifle your ability to win. And um, that in a multiplayer uh, context becomes more unreliable, more difficult to pull off, more susceptible, more vulnerable, whatever you want to say. So it's, uh, you know, stands to reason why, you know, Oracle plus consult is kind of, you know, the prevailing wisdom because of the fact that it doesn't open you up to 
the wider amount of interaction that you expect having three opponents. Right. And this is something that I feel like is worth exploring um, probably in a different episode. I didn't mean to, you know, knock us off track too terribly much. But I, I think the point really, the point I was really trying to get at is that, um, you know, we, we see some people move over and they go, oh, Bant is really good in these other formats. I should play Bant. And um, basically the point I was trying to get at is, you know, that prevailing wisdom from 60 cards does not translate as well um, over to this. Uh, despite, you know, Bant technically having pretty good card quality overall. Um, you know, maybe not as good as compared to the black uh, cards. But, I mean, overall, their combination's pretty good. Um, and, and some of this... And correct me if I'm wrong, and, and this was something I think we talked about with Soltai. Um, Bant really only has, like, two viable commanders. Uh, is, am I wrong in having that assertion? Um, I mean... Technically, yes. There's also two Vasa. Viability is, like, somewhat tricky. A lot of its commanders are, like... They're hard to justify over just going up a color. But, right. like, they're fine. Like, like well, as an example, I played Kestia for a while, and it was like, would this be better as Thrasios Timna? I mean, yeah, probably, but, like, it was still fine, you know, with running, like, a few enchantment creatures that were, like, pl playable, and a couple auras that were playable. I was drawing, like, three or four cards a turn, and, like, playing a Bant creature control-type strategy, but it was like, okay, if I'm being honest, like... If I wanted to, you know, win a tournament, I would just add black to this deck and play it. So, like, right. is that... what? Maybe it's not now that Flash is banned, but, like, was that viable? Yeah, I, I agree that certainly your definition of viability, uh, you know, is going to play a huge role in, in how you eventually define the set of what is, you know, quote-unquote viable in, in Bant. Um, presumably, Callahan, when you said, you know, there's two... You're talking about the big two that we had sort of previously mentioned, which right. is Derevi and 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 Hullen. But you know, beyond that, <laughs> you could you could look at Thrasios and like Livio, or like you know Thrasios and uh, uh, Shy, right? So like mm -hmm. there are there are technically other Bant commanders that you could bring to a CEDH table and expect to win occasionally. But when we talk, I think twenty five percent. But, but of I mean, the time, but, but you know, like I, to to counter well, and to kind of go back to what we we're not necessarily counter, but like to kind of jump off with that a little bit is we talked about with Soltai, like right, like the the issue with Soltai isn't the colors, the issue with Soltai, and, and there is the white problem, right, in in uh, Bant because you do kind of have to hold that card this against Soltai and go, why am I playing white instead of black? But even with Soltai, you have to look at, okay, so my commander choices are um, four. You know what I mean? And, and so it's kind of the same issue with, I feel like, in Bant to an extent where it's like, okay, well, you know, there are other things that I could be successful with, but my good options are Derevi, Chulain. And I, I don't agree. I think that like I think Bant I think Derevi is possibly one of the strongest commanders in terms of like the effect of the card. It and yeah. I think that in many ways its color combination is holding it back. 
I, I agree and with not, that. Agreed. And not the other... I don't think Bant's held back by not having good commanders. I think the commanders that are potentially good are held back by the fact that they're Bant. Yeah, and, and I think fair. a big issue with Bant... Um, and I think this is a big issue specifically with the color combination that you don't see in black decks. Uh, I think having access to black and access to sort of these... Um, the, all these tutor effects that can find any type of card that you want, the unconditional tutors, means that you can build a lot more sort of bottom-up type strategies where you're kind of starting from, like, the combo that you want to have, mm-hmm. uh, that you're trying to assemble every game, and then the commander can kind of just be there, you know, to do something kind of generic, where you don't really have that luxury in Bant um, because you don't have consistent access to, like, right. kind of one combo that is, like... St- you know, strong enough to be doing in the format consistently. Um, you tend to have to build these sort of top-down decks where you start from the commander and you say, well, what can I do with this commander and how can I optimize the deck around my commander um, knowing that that'll be the best way I can achieve consistency with this type of deck. Mm-hmm. Another thing yeah. there, too, is that the, the the tutors that you do have available to you in Bant are going to kind of push you in the direction of having creature-oriented strategies. And um, even though you have access to blue to be able to, you know, protect whatever combo it is that you're doing, you've kind of got this this weird, um, uh, like, straight-jacketing because you're, 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 you're trying to kind of play a permanent-oriented game and also have stack interaction at the same time. Right. And where if, if, you're, if you're in blue and black then, I mean, all right, you go and find the thing that you're looking for and you protect it with the counters that you got. Right. Um, whereas it's like, well, okay, I, I need to, to build advantage through the, the, you know, the, the, the value that I have from, from creatures that are most likely going to be hate bears that are going to be holding the table down. So I've got to prioritize finding those and getting them into play. And then that's going to, you know, for every creature that you're looking up or every creature that you slot into your, your deck, that's one less slot that you're committing to having protection. One less slot right. that you've got for, you know, uh, or when you're making a choice, do I go and get a creature or do I go and get, a, you know, protection for, for my combo? Um, those are those are a different type of question that you have if you're in Dimmer X. So right. it's, 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 a, it's a very different... Uh, process and it's kind of like it's a conundrum that i i think that bant has i wanted to to rewind just a little bit to a comment that you made callahan before mm-hmm. when you were saying you wanted to to kind of clarify how some of the things are different in edh compared to 60 card mm-hmm. and i wanted to to be very clear that the difference is not the 100 versus 60 card or you know singleton versus four of but the fact that it's one player versus four player um, if you look at Bant, if you look at Derevi in Heads Up Commander, if you looked at like Dual Commander, French Commander, um, it I believe that Derevi's been banned Bant, still yep. um, mm-hmm. because it was just absurd, insane, unbeatable. And, you know, it, it, it only took them a month or two to realize that they had to get rid of Derevi because it was so just oppressive and nobody could any, you know, no one could do anything to deal with it. So it it isn't an inherent problem with Bant you know that that it's it's good in 60 card but it's bad once you try to go to 100 card singleton it's the fact that it is more difficult to hold down a table of four players than it is to hold down one other player yeah i think i think like 
the simplest way of putting it is that uh, in 1v1, there's kind of a positive feedback loop where once you're ahead, it's very easy to stay ahead. You know, like if someone plays a threat that like you don't maybe you don't have an efficient answer for right now, you can go like, okay, well, we can let this stick around for a bit. You know, maybe it hits me, put some damage, but, you know, I've got a board presence or whatever, and then I can remove it, you know, when I have a more efficient answer to it. Um, and then I'll just stay ahead, you know, since my life total's not being pressured, I can spend my turn casting card draw spells or whatever. But in a four-player format, you kind of have a negative feedback loop where if you look like you're ahead, people will start answering your stuff. It's like, oh, well, this person has a bunch of mana, so I'm not going to let them have this Ristic Study. Because, like, you know, if they're drawing three extra cards a turn, they can really use that. Whereas, like, the person who doesn't have that mana is much less of a threat just in because of their position mm -hmm. so being ahead doesn't beget getting farther and farther ahead unless you can snowball so far ahead that you can actually outpace all three of your opponents which like which sometimes is pretty hard to do when you go like turn one you know land mocks crypt smothering tithe or whatever but yeah like most of the time if you're if you aren't sufficiently far ahead to grow faster than all three of your opponents their resources get dedicated towards you and sort of brings you back into line. Whereas in 1v1, being ahead tends to just lead to getting farther and farther ahead until you eventually win. Right. It's easier to snowball advantage, for sure. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, we talked about um, these, like, blue-white versus blue-black um, sort of color combinations. Um now we get to talk about both of them um, in Esper. And this was something we talked about a little bit, albeit a little bit comedically, in our tier list video. Um, but, you know, Esper is most famously, uh, you know, led by Zur. So, Cobble, when we're talking about Esper, what are the strengths and weaknesses that really put this deck... Uh, kind of define where it is and those sorts of things. So, like we were just saying, if you've got blue and black, then what that means is you're going to have all of the, the, the universal tutors to be able to go and get a very specific combo. So, as Pongo was saying, you can, you can build from, you know, from the bottom up around a, a combo that you want to be targeting you know, in a very surgical way. And you want to you want to get to that combo as fast as you can and protect it, and that's what blue and black are going to be giving you. Now, in this case, when we add white, there's, I mean, really, what's going to happen is you're you're going to be pushed in one direction or another. White is really good for hate bears, as we were just saying, and if if you don't choose to take advantage of the hate bears that it gives you, then really, I mean. What you have is, well, you've got like Enlightened Tutor, and you've got a little bit of removal and Swords to Plowshares. You've got um, Silence and, you know, Orem's Chant, depending on, you know, how deep you're going into to that. So you can either be very heavy in the blue and the black and just throw in just a handful of white cards to, to kind of supplement a faster-paced, Stormish, full-in combo kind of a deck. Or you can take advantage of kind of the, the, the hate bear and stacks 
capabilities that white offers and take a kind of a, a slower, grindier deck that is, you know, including more of those 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 white cards while leveraging blue for some protection and lever- leveraging black to be able to go and surgically get the, the the specific combo that you want when you've got a board state that is that is ready to take advantage of it. So you also have Oracle and consult and you know consultation. So that <coughs> excuse me is going to be your your most commonly seen uh, win con because it's just it's <laughs> you know got the, the the smallest surface area. So it's the hardest to interact with. It's easiest to assemble. It's only got two pieces. It's very efficient. We say this whenever we are talking about any combination that has access to both blue and black. It's you know you're. You're 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 just going to be running that combo, just the way that it's going to be. Um, you've got, as we said, we got blue, so we've got all the the interaction to be able to protect it. But we also have excellent removal. So you know, chain of vapor, you know, cyclonic rift, and you know, into the royal. Those those kinds of things are, are going to be available to us. Uh, we've got you know, toxic deluge, and uh, you know, black sweeping removal. If we if we are, are doing a, a slower kind of a deck and we want to be able to take advantage of that. Uh, Black also brings reanimation. So there's, you know, still some, some vestiges left in the community of kind of the, the Razaketh or, you know, Razakats kind of reanimation <laughs> strategies that existed. And, um, you know, th- those are some things that you can, can still make use of. Uh, so you, you also have life gain, especially since you've got white and black. So a lot of times in the farm decks, you're going to see, you know, you, you've got Timna who wants to be attacking with small creatures and wants to be gaining life so that you can be paying for the cards that you're getting off of your, your Timna triggers, but also be, uh, you, you want to maximize the, the value that you're going to get out of your, your ad nauseums and your, your peer into the abyss and, and your, your necropotence. So, uh, if someone's going to be doing more of a farm plan, they're going to be including things like Sarah Ascendant, Hushbringer, and you know uh, those those types of things to be able to take advantage of of that kind of a plan. As far as weaknesses are concerned, uh, I I think that the biggest weakness that that Esper has is that it doesn't have red, and um, I'm a firm believer that the the kind of the renaissance that Ad Nauseam has had, apart from the fact that you know, we, we had Flash get banned. Uh, the, the, the biggest thing that has created Turbo Nas is the existence of Dockside Extortionist. Um, it is, it has allowed, you know, an amount of explosiveness that just hasn't, you know, existed prior to its printing. And now it's only further getting um, cemented with cards like Jessica's Will and, you know, some of the other red cards that are getting printed that are just allowing people to just explode out of the gate and uh, and do things very, very quickly. We haven't had any games where we've seen that at all. Right. (laughs) It's very out of the blue. Uh, A a consequence (laughs) of this, in my opinion, is if you try to make a Turbo Nas list that's in Esper, it feels like you're playing in 2016 just because it it feels like your top speed is is limited relative to what everybody else is doing just because you don't have access to Dockside Extortionist. The, the, the difference is, is that great. So um, that's not to say that Esper is, is not viable as, as a farm 
strategy and it's not saying that esper can't you know do turbo gnaws or you know those sorts of things it's just that it the the lack of red is palpable and it's noticeable and prominent um yeah yeah absolutely I, one thing to the point of lacking red and you know feeling like we're playing gnaws in 2016 in esper you know funnily enough it's we're it's almost like we have access to fewer Ritual effects in Esper now because Thassa's Oracle pushing tainted packed mana bases so hard has made it so that like you're not really able to run high tide as consistently and expect it to be nearly as powerful as it used to be. Mm-hmm. You can, I can't remember but, seeing high tide in a list for well. So in 2016, people were still playing it. Right, but, right, right. But now, <laughs> to be, you know, you're you're not going to. To right? be so fair, you're not really, you're playing less rituals than you might in 2016. To be fair, um too high tide um with playing with power has that you know cdh staples list and they like kind of survey all the decks on the database and kind of see what the most played cards are high tide is still on that list um so it it, it still sees play probably not nearly as much in blue black decks i think is what i would put as that qualifier to be fair okay i think that that's valid so i i guess i think (laughs) I have to disagree a little bit. I think that, like, the... I think that, like, Esper has... It never stopped being, like, a totally fine color combination. The issue is that, um... Zer, you know... For for many years, Zer was, like, possibly the best deck in the format. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people might disagree about, you know, maybe... Because Zer versus Jaleva. Zer, Jaleva, maybe, like, you know, since Carador attacked them very effectively with the, the like, Hate Bears and Stacks plan, maybe that, you know, you could argue that was the best. But it was a very clear contender for, like, the best sort of deck in a vacuum. For sure. Um, but one of the consequences of that is that it kind of got downgraded to F tier on, like, the Sickness tier list. And so, like, no one has ever sat down, seen a Xur from their opponent, and been excited. Like, for <laughs> sure. It's like, this is true. Like, Xur is like, oh, you're playing Xur. Like, I already don't like you. Is basically, like, how people have reacted to that. And so, mm-hmm. I think as a consequence of that, people, like, it was like, why would you build Xur? Was essentially people's view. It's like, no one likes this deck, and, like, you know, you could just play Thrasios Timna, you could still play, like, your Nas plan, you know, have higher card quality because you're in four colors, not three. And, like, yeah, Zer has, like, I mean, it's theoretically interesting, right, being able to pull, like, any three CMC enchantment. You know, you have, like, Necropotence, but it's a creature, so it's really hard to counter. Um, but it was just, like, Zer sucks, why would you want to play Zer? Like, not sucks as in it's bad, as in, like, it's right. not fun, it's not cool. Why would you want to play Zer? So, like, just don't. Like, no yeah, one he, was encouraged to to play with Esper. He, he kind of suffered from his own success, in a way, yeah. right? Because, like, he never stopped being good, sort of after Thrasius and Timna started taking over the meta. Um, but, you know, before, it kind of felt like if you're playing that type of strategy, you need to be playing red. Um, he never stopped being good then, but you still kind of saw people playing a lot less of him, like to your point, Morgan. Um, and a big part of that is 
not because he wasn't good enough. He was still at the top of the format, I think, at that point. But for whatever reason, people were just not compelled to play him. I mean, like, I, I do this will, I this will the, vary from meta to meta. But. I think there was also like it, it was. It's also a very frustrating play experience because people know what Zer does if you let it attack, right. and so it, like you cast your, you know, you cast your four mana commander, and it just like immediately eats a counter spell or removal, and you're like, or it gets traked, or yeah, he, oh. it was essentially <laughs> like the Hermit Druid problem, like it needed to get removed. Yeah, like I, I found you know like, and and like even potentially over like if you actually looked at someone's scenario it's like okay they don't have that much mana like the shimmers are lines like really weren't they weren't particularly easy to pull off and so like if you you know you hit the zur deck down to like 30 and then like if they don't have a ton of mana already you know attacking is like maybe not the word but it was just like nope we're just gonna kill zur it's just like it's just a kill on site um which like is understandable but you know possibly there there i think people weren't very good at realizing when they could stop beating up on the zer player um which made it a very frustrating play experience which further decreased the popularity and and the performance to an extent um i'm i'm gonna agree with you in part there but i, I still feel like the fact that that zer is three color as opposed to you know, Timna plus some other, you know, partner that you can get one of them down on turn two and then, you know, be able to start building advantage right away. Uh, and the fact that Esper doesn't have access to dorks, so it's, it is gonna, you know, have more frustrating mulligan experiences because of the fact that, you know, you're, you're just not going to find the ramp that you need to be able to, to get Zer down on, you know, turn three reliably the the speed that the rest of the man the the meta has kind of taken up is uh such that i mean yes zur is extremely linear and will do its thing if it's given time to do its thing but a lot of times it's not going to have the time to do its thing and because it's so linear it's very vulnerable to people who have experienced what zur is going to do and i i think that it's you know, my, my reading of it would be that we, we saw a falling out of Zer not because of stigma associated with Zer, but I think because of the uh, vulnerability to its linear play style and its being, I would say, probably a full turn slower than the so, other decks that are doing the same thing. I think I think I didn't necessarily express my idea perfectly. I'm not saying that Zer fell out of favor because of a stigma i think that what happened was that the stigma of zur meant that it didn't overcome basically being superseded by four color partners like you kind of got some like hipster points for playing tassiger instead of thrasios timna and like you definitely didn't get hipster points for playing zur instead of thrasios timna for like a nas consult whatever deck like so so it was like Zer was pretty directly superseded in that like a deck like CST essentially does very similar things to what Zer wants to do um but just sort of a little bit smoother and a little bit more consistently and then because everyone thinks Zer is like not a cool commander and they don't like Zer there's like 
there's no there's you don't have that incentive to still play it the way you did have it with, with something like Tassiker. So let me well, I don't know if you could really say that people didn't find the commander cool though, right? But like certainly you could say that his reputation preceded him to a large extent. So I've always hated why... his art. Well, maybe <laughs> I, I really like the promo one. I, I might well, be yeah. alone in that, <laughs> as opposed to like I think the Cold Snap version, where you know he, he looks like a lunatic. <laughs> I, I, I understand the appeal. I understand the appeal to that. You know, if you like the Joker and you're kind of into those circles and the internet, you're a little edgy. Um, yeah, <laughs> but um, but no, the, the Judge promo art. He looks like a badass. So like. I don't know. That art is pretty cool. So let me ask this question because we've, we we talked about Esper, right? And the, the conversation was immediately dominated by Zer because um, it immediately goes there. When we talk about Esper commanders, what is there really any other like commanders to play other than Zer? Like I know Aminatu is on the database, but I can't tell you if I have ever seen that deck get played. Um so outside like what other commanders would you find as like quality commanders in these colors that are not partners? They're not partners? Oh not part <laughs> well because I, I was I was I mean, right. Timna Sakashima and Timna Malcolm, I think both have legs. I don't, have... I don't. I'm still a little. I I, I kind of sold my Timna Malcolm. But, yeah, I I um... I was really high on Timna Malcolm, and I sold my stock on that. I I I'm kind of out on Timna Malcolm personally. I it uh... it has potential, but it it's it's absolutely outshined by Timna Sakashima, which so I, I think is, the... is quite good. Uh, so I know people tried with Alila. They tried very hard with Alila, and. I just remember looking at this and being like, this deck doesn't do anything of what you want. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, like, so awkward. Do I cast my artifacts before my commander so I can actually right. cast her in a reasonable time frame? Or do I hold them to get 1-1s? One -ones? Then, like, what am I doing with the 1-1s? One -ones? Am I playing, like, a Razaketh deck? Like, um, I think that, like, I've been brewing. I haven't actually put it together to play games with yet. But I've been sort of tinkering with Yenit since the printing of Peer into the Abyss. Yeah, that was going to be my answer. Because Yenit, <laughs> uh, which is the 5 CMC Flying Vigilance Menace, 3-5, uh, when it attacks, reveal the top card of your library. If its CMC is odd, you can cast it without paying its mana cost, otherwise you draw it. Um, mm -hmm. You want to cast, like, random fat spells for free, obviously. And, like, historically that's meant you can't really play ad nauseum because if you want to have a certain density of hits, then your ad nauseum curve is uh, not great. Like if you're playing like <laughs> five, you know, like you're playing like time warp and like you're playing like the three five mana turn spells and then like, you know, whatever your, your seven mana, you know, payoffs are like the few things that you're playing. It's like, okay, well this can't really be an ad nauseum deck. But it can definitely be a peer deck because peer doesn't actually care about the CMC of the cards you're hitting off of it. Um, and it's like a little bit less immediately like this attacks and we lose the game from something like Xur. So like it doesn't eat removal in the same way. Mm -hmm. Shroom was also historically playable oh for a very long time, but um, her right. combos are all kind of bad. And right. 
like now commander agnostic combos are better than commander dependent combos most of the time which is somewhat unfortunate because that gives like that kills one of the avenues that made a lot of decks see play well in in i know aloro used to see play i i believe aloro doomsday kind of used to be uh, a thing um but something you know i don't, I, I actually don't know that it was ever actually like, a thing i think people thought it was a real thing it was allura was certainly a thing in 1v1 but i think right. that the people playing at the top of the format would never have said there's a there's a compelling reason to play allura over zur so, right you pretty much just like you can put allura in the command zone instead of zur and have the same deck but it's probably going to be a little bit worse right so let me ask this then um and this is a, a card that is kind of a pet card that I've always really liked and kind of built some different stuff around but never committed too much time to it, is Verena Lich, Qu- Lich Queen. Like, it, it feels like it has something there, um, but perhaps maybe I'm a little too optimistic. You know, what do you... Uh, because, you know, as we're having this discussion of, you know, what are the Nanzer Esper commanders? Like, this is one... Um, and it does kind of give you some of the like Timna action a little bit. You know, what do you guys feel about you know Z- Verena? I built uh, Razaketh Verena, and then was playtesting it, and I was like, "Why don't I have green in this deck?" <laughs> <laughs> that was that was pretty much how it yeah. went. I was like, "Yes, you know, she can make the two twos to like." Uh, to fuel the um, like fuel your Razaketh and like obviously you have like access to that consistent discard but like having dorks and then having your like survival of the fittest um, as well as just like green creature tutors especially it's it's kind of a shame because like the green creature tutors aren't particularly great in like traditional Razakats because mm-hmm. the, the density on like looting and ways of discarding stuff is not actually that high. And it's unfortunate because with Verena, like Worldly Tutor would actually be great because it's like a oh, Worldly Tutor, I'll draw it, I'll discard it, and then I can reanimate it. Um, but right. You don't get Worldly Tutor. You don't get Sylvan Tutor. You don't get Eladamri's Call. Um, if she so, had access uh, to red and underworld breach, oh, then yeah, that I would, would build a deck around that. Spicy. Um, and then like you know, there's like a few zombie synergy pieces that you run, but then like it's like, eh, you know, there's like a couple playable like cards that happen to be zombies, and then you're just kind of done. And also, there's the whole like the four mana. The four mana three color commanders, particularly outside of green, are also in a very rough spot because they're very difficult to cast on turn two. Right. Like you can't cast them turn two off of like a soul ring or mana crypt alone. You need a piece of colored acceleration, um, which has meant that like you basically you you need either like. Basically, you need a two-mana rock and fast mana to cast them on turn two, uh, which is somewhat unfortunate. Um, yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's it's interesting because we've kind of always talked about, you know, we've talked in previous about the, the commanders and what commanders you have options to. 
Um, but you know, with Esper, it, it certainly feels much more narrow, um, because, you know, everything kind of ends up defaulting back to, well, you're either playing Xur or just go up to, you know, four color. Um, one color combination that is actually having uh, more, I feel like, has gotten even better recently. And uh, we saw this in action on our uh, gameplay video on Wednesday uh, is Grixis has really kind of sort of become more popular if that makes sense uh because That's of way to put it yeah it, it is certainly <laughs> exploded i suppose uh, uh as of late uh and we talked about this in our set review where people are kind of feeling more obligated to drop that fourth color which is different from what we've talked about in these other ones so pongo you know what is it with grixis that's making people want to do this um specifically sure um let me start off by saying that um, I got to discuss uh, Sultai in the last video, and in this video I get to discuss Grixis. So <laughs> remind me to thank my agent uh, when this video is done. Um, so yeah, what what are some of the you strengths have an of Grixis? Why don't I have one? <laughs> yeah, at least I got to yeah, negotiate it, it costs, up into it, talking about Bant rather than being relegated to only <laughs> talking about Naya. Right. I mean, I, I thought Pongo's clearly talking about opposition agent here, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Th thank exactly. my opposition I got, agent. <laughs> I get to control you guys while you're, <laughs> while you know, we're you know, working on uh, the show notes. You know, one one thing is, is Morgan's agent was good enough to uh, put the the color order back, you know, the the, the list back in color order. <laughs> right. We, we got back to the Wooberg order with the... Uh, the allied colors or the allied and the enemy colors <laughs> on the side. Um, definitely it was a quality of life improvement right there for sure. We're feeling it. Uh, so, so yeah, Grixis, um, you know, there's a lot of good things to be said about Grixis. Um, I think, you know, one thing to consider um, sort of following the ban of Protean Hulk, um, we lost sort of like one of the premier win cons in the game one of the sort of the major pillars of CEDH, Flash Hulk. Um, and green did lose some of its identity in the exchange um, in the sense that, you know, now we kind of had like this blue-black based win con that normally we were assembling, you know, and, and relying on green to have the combo piece for. Uh, but, you know, we kind of move away from that, uh, you know. So that's sort of one factor, I think, that, uh, has sort of led to Grixis rising in prominence again. Certainly not the only factor. Um, you know, we do need to look at the fact, however, um, that now if we look at sort of the premier win cons of the format, uh, they pretty much all exist in Grixis colors. So obviously there was the aforementioned Thassa's Oracle plus Consult, which is, you know, debatably, you know, probably one of the most warping win conditions in the <laughs> format. Um, you know, and then another strong contender for the, uh, you know, debatably most warping win condition in the format is ad nauseum. And obviously you're in black. So we have access to that. And, you know, as we were kind of touching upon before, Grixis happens to be the color combination that probably best leverages ad nauseum. Why? Well, because with access to red, you also get access to a bunch more rituals, notably Dockside Extortionist. So Dockside Extortionist... Uh, provides an incredible amount of explosiveness to uh, to this shard. Um, essentially, 
allowing you to generate tons and tons of mana. Uh, you know, if you're going last, sometimes you can just win on turn one by virtue of going last. So being able to turn going last into an advantage is like kind of mind boggling, in fact, because um, it's normally not where you want to be. Uh, you know, even moving beyond Dockside Extortionist and just the warping effect that it has on the format. And again, that's kind of a, probably a strong contender in and of itself for, you know, one of the, or if not the most warping card in the metagame right now. Uh, you know, you also get access to Underworld Breach lines in Grixis. Um, so essentially, you know, you've just got an embarrassment of riches, uh, an embarrassment of Grixis. Um, so... What all this means is that you're essentially pushed into a very aggressive game plan um, and, uh, you know, because you have access to these very, very efficient um, win conditions uh, and powerful ritual effects, I should say. Um, but, you know, what complements that ex incredibly well is this incredible access to uh, explosive card advantage that Grixis gives you. Um, you know, not only do you have access to kind of the tools that Blue gives a lot of different decks um, in terms of card advantage, you know, Mystic Remora, things like Ristic Study as well, uh, but you also get access to now Time Twister, uh, Windfall, uh, and Wheel of Fortune, and, you know, additionally, Wheel of Misfortune. So we're talking about a ton of wheel effects, which kind of just make it so that you can make up for those really aggressive mulligans that you often have to take when you're in Sans Green. Um, they also kind of just further incentivize you to be playing a lot of fast mana and a fast game plan because you can reload really, really quickly. Um, you know, they're not without their downsides, but we're, we're talking about the strengths of Grixis right now. So we'll, we'll get to that perhaps later. Um, so what else do you get in Grixis? Well, you also get kind of like the best stack interaction in the format. Um, you get access to all, obviously, the blue counter spells you know notably you don't get veil of summer so you are missing out on that but in exchange you get access to red elemental blast and pyroblast um and you get access to deflecting swat in a lot of cases which you wouldn't get if you you know were missing red uh so it's really hard to overstate how powerful red elemental blast and pyroblast are you know you look at the vintage metagame as an example and like essentially the mirror breaker for a lot of blue matchups is is my opponent playing red and i'm not because if my opponent's playing red and we're both playing these sort of blue based decks i'm going to get absolutely dumpstered because i'm going to get destroyed by his additional <laughs> one mana interaction where i'm like two for wanting myself with force of wills and stuff like that um you know it's to the extent that uh if, if you are playing these uh you know blue red decks and vintage oftentimes you'll like like cut your force of negation or something like that uh, and put in an extra red blast uh, when you're in, in sort of those blue based matchups, you know, so these are incredibly powerful tools to have against the metagame that's dominated, you know, pretty much exclusively by blue decks uh, with a, a few other sort of non blue decks, um, you know, kind of doing their thing, but, you know, totally interactable by, by other cards that you're, you're playing with anyway. So you're not really going to feel too bad about playing, your, your narrow counter spells because you can essentially be guaranteed that they're going to find targets every single game um, in a pot of four players. So I would say that their uh, ability to hit blue permanence is becoming more pronounced too with people yes. moving into wheel strategies. Yes, absolutely. Um, so they, the fact that they double as removal uh, just, yeah, should certainly should not uh, leave that part out 
because that's an incredibly relevant uh, sort of mode on both of those cards. Um, what we're talking about essentially is the shard that is positioned to be the fastest uh, in the metagame. Um, you know, obviously, if you start adding additional colors to that, then you know, theoretically, you start getting tools that speed you up. But you know, it, it's questionable whether or not that's even necessary. Um, the best tools for going fast exist in Grixis, and then you can certainly benefit from other tools. But um, when you're kind of just playing this aggressive game plan, you know, having access to the things that I've discussed so far is more or less all you need. Um, and so essentially that's what we see is we see all these decks, um, that are playing this sort of very turbo oriented plan. Um, and you know, they're also occasionally playing a more control oriented plan, but that's sort of something that you're starting to see move a little bit by the wayside because this new crop of really fast decks is making it so that, um, there's a little bit less incentive and also fewer, um, situations, there, there's less incentive to be playing cards that will prolong the game for everyone. Things like board wipes and stuff like that. Obviously still nice to have, but you're not going to, you know, overload on them quite as much as you would. Obviously, there's the additional fact that the metagame is kind of shifting away from green towards more of these fast decks. Um, and as a result, you'll often find yourself in this position where you may need to race which puts further pressure on wanting to play more of that uh, uh, creature control type game plan that you might have played previously. Um, you know, going beyond that, we have some incredibly powerful cards that have been printed recently. I already discussed Wheel of Misfortune, but, uh, you know, I would be remiss if I missed out on discussing things like Jessica's Will. Um, and I'm <laughs> sure uh, some, some of you guys can, uh, can tell us uh, some of your war stories of, of that card. <laughs> uh it's pretty good turn one if you hit the right <laughs> I mean, cards off it, of it. It's honestly not even that good turn one a lot of the time. But when you hit Peer in an LED, <laughs> you hit Peer in an LED. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I did luck sack into that. But, uh, you know, the, the, pl the point of playing that turn one was because my hand was actually so strong to begin with. And I was certainly not going to not play anything for turn. I, I wanted to spend my mana. You hear and, that, Cobble? He still had all Ds. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I still mean, had you a still had Time Twister. Adnals. Right, right. So, yeah. So, so the anything. hope was to just hit some rocks, right? The hope was to to hit a couple of mana rocks and then maybe have enough mana to cast Adnals in turn two. Instead, I got the nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what? So, sometimes you just get there. <laughs> sometimes you just get there, exactly. <laughs> I do recommend everyone check out that video, especially, you know, you can watch that game it didn't take very long as you can imagine i i literally to, to to give a little bit of my war story because i wasn't in that game when we recorded that a few weeks ago um and we had recorded like the first game we had played and so i stepped away because we were recording all day and so i step away to to go like get a drink go to the bathroom get some chips and like say hi to my fiance and so i was gone like maybe five six minutes after you guys started and i come back and everybody like Pongo's deck is on the table and everybody's like already shuffling. I'm like, what the hell happened? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, was like I walk away for yeah. five minutes and the game's already over. <laughs> I, and that's how it be sometimes when you're playing Grixis. Um, right. I, I think so, that's the first time yeah. I ever saw 
a turn one peer into the abyss. I, I mean, I've seen I've seen multiple turn one adnoses before. It's just yeah, you know, the the the, right. the combination of of acceleration just kind of gets you there sometimes. But uh, getting to seven mana and having three left over is much harder to do than to uh, reliably to get to five mana. Right, right. Well, I mean, the, I, I I don't think we should throw around words like reliably, but. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. That was my point, right? Is like you're not going to do that reliably, right? Like he no, he was right. able to do that because, like he said, you know, if you've watched that video, if you haven't, you should go watch it. But discussing that, you know, and I do, and this really is relevant to you know the overall wedge discussion. Is the reason you're able to do that is you have Twister back up, and then what else was in your hand? There was Twister, and there was another. Ad- 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 I guess that's ad- right. You had the Adnaz. So like I, you can. Uh, you can cast that turn one safely, knowing if you don't hit anything great off of it, oh well. You know, you still right. have I'm gonna twister, twister in the worst case. Right. I guess. I guess. I don't think we should take this game as particularly oh, no, no. meaningful in our evaluation of Crixus. Like, no. <laughs> to be fair, certainly, certainly, you're right. Like tools like Jessica's will being printed are obviously very, very good for Crixus. I'm not denying that, but. <laughs> I don't yeah, think for, the the nut turn one is is like it was the same thing you know when people were talking about flash Hulk and it was like with gemstone caverns you, you could do it turn on turn zero, zero. Yeah. it's like that that's not why it's good like right right that that being said um and for full context for anyone who doesn't feel like going to watch the other video right now or you know plans on doing it after listening to this uh, I was playing Rograk uh, Silas Wren. Um, and obviously the big advantage of Rograk is that, you know, he costs zero mana to cast, so then you can play your Jessica's Will on turn one, or, you know, whenever, you know, really consistently and have your commander in play, so you can get both parts of the effect. Um, so playing that deck, you know, to Morgan's point, yes, it's not likely that you're going to Jessica's Will into exactly LED Pure into the Abyss, but probably more than any deck in the format that I've played, uh, thus far... Um, that that's a deck that I've seen a lot of turn one wins with. I I um, was going to make a similar statement where I was going to. I really feel like that is the most reliably quick deck in the format right now. So I I wouldn't say that it reliably wins on turn one. I wouldn't go ever that far, and I would never say that it's you know consistently winning turn one. Well, it's always but, trying to win fast. I guess is my point. Like very yes, quickly in yeah. the first three or four turns. Right. Uh, and and I mean that's something that holds true for pretty much the large majority of Grixis decks. Uh, right. Certainly the ones sort of more toward the top of the format. Um, but but that is a deck that I would say consistently wins on turn 2.5. Um, and I don't feel too... I don't feel like that that's part, a particularly hot take. Um, and I feel like it's half a turn or you know maybe not quite half a turn faster than uh, you know previous Grixis fast decks uh, that existed before it. <clears throat> and that sort of 2.5 number sort of represents the fact that, you know, I've, I've won on turn two or I've goldfished turn two wins with that deck, you know, so many more times than I have with, with other decks. Um, and I mean, it makes sense. You have access to so many more um, ritual effects that are enabled by Roger. Uh, you have access to additional tutors that are enabled by Roger, free counter magic, things like that. The deck is certainly very strong. Um, you know, the, the biggest weakness of that deck is probably the fact that, I mean, there's, there's another weakness, but the <laughs> biggest weakness of that deck in my mind is that it's a Grixis deck that we play that challenges 
the dominance of you know what is traditionally a very female dominated shard uh you know the 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 bad mean grixis grixis mean girls uh is is maybe less true nowadays than it used to be you know with uh kes and ala um jaleva and and yeah without them necessarily being the best thing to be doing in grixis anymore um and to a lesser extent obeka i guess I don't think Jaleva is the best disagree. thing to be doing in in, um, in 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 Grixis for a while, in my opinion. But sorry? so it it's certainly debatable, <laughs> and it it does you know it boils down to your your personal choice and your playstyle to a certain Kess extent. Kess is very much better. Yeah, Kess Kess is certainly still very very strong in Grixis, um, and so one of the weaknesses of Grixis, and you know I'm I'm obviously being serious now. There's a time for for being facetious and a time for being serious. Um, one <laughs> oh, one of the uh, issues with Grixis is that you do often need to mulligan heavily um, because you want to have fairly explosive openers, or you at least want to find some acceleration, and you have less turn one acceleration in Grixis. Um, so when you compound that problem by playing a commander that doesn't generate card advantage, um, you know sometimes you can kind of find yourself in a rough spot. So you know, in the case of Rograk, compared to something like Kess, uh, you're you're trading a lot of resiliency and, and potential to generate value, you know, for pure speed. So there's certainly a trade-off there, and I can understand why. Uh, you know, not someone wouldn't necessarily 100% agree that that Rograk is, uh, you know, the the best Crixus commander, but uh, you know, it's certainly up there. There's I have no doubt. It's I, certainly the fastest. I, I would argue that one very, very hard, and <laughs> I don't think all, I could be easily convinced otherwise. All I know is that Anala is really bad, but, you know, that's all I really uh, know. Yeah, them, Anala. Them's fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. along, that, along that discussion, I, w- I would say that um, probably holistically, the better place to put Roger is with Timna under Mardu, as opposed to Grixis. Um, with Silas, I, I think that's oh, a I bit of a hot disagree. take. Yeah, I think that's a so, bit of a hot take. I, I understand where people are coming from with that, in the sense that you know the argument is that you're you're getting some card advantage from Timna that you wouldn't right. normally have from Silas. But I think that that kind of like overstates how good it is to be playing Roger in that deck yeah. anyway. Because like you're going to be playing all the little creatures that you need to be playing to enable Timna anyway, because Roger doesn't do that. Right. Um, so so essentially, you're trading um, a commander that you could play, like for example, Jessica, uh, who could theoretically be a lot stronger and like um, give you an additional plan on a, on top of the Timna plan um, for something that is going to you know theoretically let you go a little bit faster. Um, you do get like a lot of the same access to cards that let you go faster, obviously, but then you're kind of diluting the deck by playing these more like grindy, small creature type oriented plan. Um, yeah, I think the, I think the and, and you're of, losing Thassa's Oracle. The strength of Rograk is that you get to play all the creature synergy pieces without having to play creatures, and like you right. have to play creatures if you're playing a Timna deck, anyways. Right. Okay. I, and I do think that that's kind of one of the biggest tensions with the deck. So let me let um, me interject here for a moment, you know, because. You know, with Cobble's point, I am interested in this because, you know, you you had recently, I know earlier this today, we're recording on Thursday, uh, posted your um, 
new shadow bag brew and, you know really really what is it that for you you know your point was you see it more as this like holistic thing right um well, you know right. and we've kind of heard the you know the argument from the other side you know what is your kind of take on that then my what i was intending to get at there was that the 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 improvement to a Grixis list adding Roger versus the improvement to a Mardu list adding Roger is a greater improvement on the Mardu side because of the boost in speed that is given. And then the fact that you've got Timna there for the circumstances under which you run out of gas. Um, the, the reason why Jaleva was kind of the, the go-to Grixis commander for a long time was that if something happened and you, you know, your, your initial shot got disrupted, you still had the fallback plan of being able to get card advantage in kind of a roundabout way through Jaleva. Um, you don't have that through Silas or through Roger, as is what Ponga was saying there. Um, and the I, I feel that the, 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 the delta that you see is less in Grixis than it is in Mardu. And I probably could have phrased that differently so i think the reason i disagree is because what rograk lets you do in grixis is not lets you play rograk it's that he lets you play culling the weak diabolic intent um to a lesser extent deflecting swat and fierce guardianship which aren't like the best in kess um mox amber things like that which like none of these cards were difficult to play with timna before the yeah. right, program. but you couldn't you couldn't play those cards profitably turn one the way that you can having Roger and have you know backup with your you know deflecting SWAT or you know in in the case of Grixis having you know fierce guardianship and, and that kind of thing. It's it it's it's not. That well, I don't you think can... you would play Culling the Weak in Kess at all, really. Like I, I I know people have like built sort of a faster version of Kess, but like. I don't think that that card is good in Kess. I don't even particularly like it in like all right. the Timna Crombrews that are playing like six creatures that all cost sure. at least two. Like I, I think that Rogrek letting you play uh, Culling is the biggest one, and then to a slightly lesser extent, Diabolic Intent, without actually having to load your deck with some reasonable density of creatures, is is a really right. big boon. Yeah, okay. I, I get what you're saying, Cobble, uh, and I think you know there's certainly truth to that. I I don't disagree with the argument that you're making that it's it is significant for Mardu, um, you know, uh, along that axis. But I think that there's like one detail being left out, um, which is that there's kind of tension between playing the Timna plan and playing the Rograk plan anyway. You know, all, all those additional cards that I mentioned that you need to add in to enable the Timna plan don't really support the Rograk plan. So, like, you're not necessarily as focused as you would be if you were just playing, like, sort of well, the pure plan. And and this is my, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into the Mardu stuff because we did talk about that last week. But I do want to interject this because I've had this discussion on Twitter because I've been kind of brewing a, a lot of the Timna Jessica stuff and I've been playing a lot of it is uh, the, I don't feel like the advantage Roger gives you in Mardu is worth playing him over Jessica um, because Jessica, it, cause with Mardu, right? The issue is, is that you don't have 
the uh, reliable access to your wind conditions and they take more setup. Um, and so Jessica kind of solves that problem because she's always there. She's always in the command zone. So you're now, if, you know, we saw this in our, our gameplay that's coming up on, on coming up on Wednesday, you know, if you, uh, you know, and I won't go too this because I don't want to spoil much, uh, but if you run out of gas when you're trying to win with Jessica, the value that Timna brings is much greater because now Timna comes in and, you know, gets you back into the game, gets your card draw, gets you, can get you back on life, get you back onto an Adnaz plan. Um, and that is something Roger doesn't give you, in my opinion. I, I think Jessica's more of an ad in Mardu than, than Roger is, but that's just my two yeah. cents. I might be I, I a little think, biased, but... not. but I um, think if Roger had one power, then we'd be having a very different conversation. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> that would be broken as hell. Um, <laughs> and had the keywords he had on him of... What, what does he have? He has first strike, trample, menace. Yeah, yeah three yeah. very, very uh, applicable keywords. When very you have well. power, absolutely. Yeah. It, that, but um, yeah. But but anyway, and, and like I said, anyway. I, I don't want to go too deep into the Mardu thing. We've talked about that before, um, and you know, I, I do feel like uh, you know, cobble. If you have any other uh, anything else you wanted to get in there, yeah, definitely. I didn't mean for everybody to jump on cobble there. I, I apologize. No, 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 no that I was never the intention either. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks, Blaine. I appreciate but. that. Um, I I can I can see what you guys are saying. And I, I think that we're, we're, we're talking along different axes as far as the, 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 That's the way that we're, we're, we're looking at it. And, and, and I'm fine with dropping it, but it's... Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the last thing I'll say on that point is that, you know, in, in some sense, I kind of flipped the script. Um, and, and, you know, perhaps that's... It was, in my mind, a strength of the argument, but, you know, somebody could, could say that it's, you know, just as equally a weakness of the argument where I said, you know, you're diluting the Rograk plan to support the Timna plan. Um, but at the same time, like the Timna plan kind of, you know, from a, from the flip side of the coin, uh, gives you the backup in case the Rograk plan doesn't get there or kind of gives you like something else that, you know, a different plan that you could theoretically mulligan into. So it's not so clear cut as what I said, you know, just to... I certainly agree Agree that Silas is a very unexciting commander to play. Yes. <laughs> He's so that, bad. I mean, that's not debatable. <laughs> He's so bad. <laughs> and and trying to force Silas to be a little bit better is is painful at times. Um, right. People, Has anyone but, yeah. actually cast Silas? I, I've certainly cast Silas before. I played actually, Silas the Timna, death touch. so I've yeah. definitely cast my fair share of Silas's. The I, fact I have that his had, death touch has been relevant. I have had a significant amount of people on in Discord servers try to tell me that, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, you want to be playing Silas, right? Like, it makes your mana crypts better and all these things. I'm like, shut up. Like, it's, it's, it is bad, and it has its edge case good scenarios. It can have edge case hey, like hey. things that are good. If you find the lotus petal, then it's <laughs> basically Malcolm. Got there. I wow. Mostly, what it does is it gives your opponent's dock sides an extra treasure, and occasionally turns on metalcraft for your mox opal. Well, that's convincing. <laughs> Well, you know, so we spent a lot of time talking here about uh, really 
uh, a, two different black red uh, you know combinations. Um, but I want to talk about one more uh, before we kind of move off of black red, and that's uh, Corvold. I mean, I mean Jund. Wait, wait, um, hang on a second, because we spent a while talking about two uh, two Grixis lists, but there's definitely some other some other Grixis things. No, there, there are no are. other yeah. Grixis lists. <laughs> it's only Roger and Kath. So I mean, there, we, there's we, none others. We briefly touched on Inala um, to say that it was bad, which is uh, the worst Not take. True. No, um, it's very very true. It's a bad deck. I I gave it a pretty high rating in my tier yeah, list. Yeah, I, th- I, I was even memeing for the vast majority <laughs> I, of I that. I think that I think that a lot of people saw like the the old like Wanderwine Prophets combo list and were like, this Wanderwine Prophets combo is like actually kind of hard to pull off and you know, requires you to be able to attack people and like, like combos died to chump to a single chump it's block. Just, is it's like, just eh. not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I think a decent number of people actually just don't know about the spell seeker lines, but essentially, yeah, the fact that you have a four mana, one card win condition or like, you know, you have to find and play one card and for a total of four mana, you win the game. Obviously there's a bunch of other pieces involved because you're tutoring you know, a sequence but, of cards. But, but this is um, why I don't like it, though, right? Like, it, it, it take it, it is... We've talked about this on the podcast before, right? Is the, the amount of, like, different layers that the win condition has to get. And the way... I mean, we're, we're border, bordering with the Inala deck, like, the Chains of Mephistopheles' need for a flowchart to, to successfully do this in, if you're new to it. And and that to me is a big ding against it. In all in all fairness, like you think that just the mechanical difficulty of executing a combo line is uh, a substantial mark against the deck. Certainly, because oh, interesting. Because uh, I, I I don't agree with that at all. I I I, I will take this. Uh, the reason I say that is because it's going to limit the amount of people that are going to be able to have any success with this deck to a very small group of people um and that matters right like the access ex- the accessibility of thassa and thassa's oracle and you know demonic tutor or demonic like that win is just so much easier than the spell seeker line which i get is really good but like you know in modern right like there is a reason people play you know the decks that are easy to play and work really well instead of everybody being on like lantern control right callahan can i interrupt you for a second because i have a i think a very important counter argument uh and my counter argument is that the gitrog server is the biggest deck specific discord server that exists i think a counter argument that i would love is that with some experience with the um boon weaver corridor deck um if there's a combo that is reliable and efficient people are going to learn the steps but is it efficient like so so here's the thing is that like it may look inefficient on the surface because there are so many cards in the combo like you wind up tutor i think it's something like 12 cards but like if you actually look at the cards like there's two garnets in the deck and then the rest of it like here here are your combo cards reanimate culling the weak 
burnt offering, which is basically culling the weak. Right. Like unearth, uh, and then your your two like actually really bad outside the combo cards are either Archaeomancer or Scholar of the Ages, and then finale of uh, promise. But like the rest of the cards are literally just rituals and reanimation spells, which like already synergize with the deck. So so like you know you're on this like ad nauseum plan. So you have you have like you're culling the weak, like you know you dockside culling the weak, whatever. Like you unearth your dockside, you reanimate your dockside. Like you, if you look at the combo line, the card quality of all the cards in the combo line is actually very very high. Right, but but you you, you talked about like the culling like dockside. I think that's that's not something that is anala specific though. Right, but I'm it's, but I'm it, saying I'm saying you don't like I don't think it's reasonable to count unearth and culling the weak as like dead combo cards the way you'd count body snatcher as a combo card right. in hulk when right. like clearly they're not because lots of other decks are like going out of their way to include them well yeah, no no, no i'm not counting them yeah. as dead i'm i'm not saying that they're dead but my point rather is that you've just got so many surfaces that you got to cover to get this thing to really go off and you got to know I mean, so many you, lines you don't have to activate creatures or artifacts and really, you don't have to keep permanence in play. So, like, you really right. don't have that many surfaces. Like, if you have a yeah. creature in play, you can do the combo. Like, it, it, theoretically, if they can remove all your creatures before that first culling the week, then you're in trouble. But but explain, but, like, the math, right? Because you, you say you do it with four mana, so you get the spell seeker, and then you get the, the, the fourth, but you're out of mana if you are at four, right? No, like, no, you, you can't you do cast it. Cast spellseeker. You search with spellseeker. You cast culling the weak. Then you pay for the anala trigger and get unearthed. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so you yeah, got to right. stack your triggers for this. You have to stack thing. your triggers, and there's like some tricky sequencing that like is part of the combo, but but it's extremely rote. So once you once yeah. you learn the sequence. I mean, it's... It's really only complicated if you've lost access to one of the pieces. Like, then... Like, the variations get complicated when you lose access to the pieces, which is only when they're in the graveyard. It's not like with Hulk lines where drawing your pieces is annoying. Mm -hmm. So, it's actually easy... It's even easier to combo if you have a piece in your hand. So, it's only when pieces are in the graveyard that the... Like, the line deviates from... From sort yeah. of just the standard execution. But my question, and, and that's not even all the pieces, because you do have redundancy for some number of the pieces, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, and, and, in and particular, a lot of the time, just like having seeker. extra mana is is like redundancy. A way to get around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and like you know, if you're comboing with reanimation spells as well, like that kind of reduces that sort of creature surface that you can be interacted on because you know somehow let's say they're able to remove multiple creatures before you're able to start going off with culling the weak you know you, you do have resiliency in the sense that you can theoretically just reanimate your spell seeker and then you also yeah can just like try again the following turn or something like that i think the hardest thing to overcome is entomb being in the graveyard that can be annoying right but like yeah it's it's really not actually that like the most of the time you're just doing one standard combo Mm-hmm. And even if there are a lot of steps, there's not a huge amount of variation unless you're missing pieces. It's not like, um, it's not like you know, a storm deck in modern where it's like, 
oh, you know, I have, like, th some certain number of draw spells and there's, like, uncertainty and I'm trying to, like, maximize the mana or whatever. It's just, like, okay, do it, do this, do that, do this, do that, and then you win. The list also, I mean, strongly rewards thinking on your feet. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of times that you'll be able to get to the combo without, you know, starting from Spellseeker. So if if you're just kind of aware and, you know, you're, you are able to kind of uh, intuit from, from at any point in time, you'll, you'll be able to shortcut a lot of things instead of doing the, the entire combo from start to finish. So, you know, if you get something in hand or if there's already something in your graveyard that you can reuse or, or whatever, you can uh, take variations mm -hmm. of the combo to be able to get you there without doing the entire thing in its entirety. And uh, that gives it flexibility. And also it makes it more difficult for opponents to plan the way that they're going to interact with you. Because if they, if they, if they know what's coming and they see that you put a spell seeker on the stack, then they're, they're, you know, they're aware of what's going to happen and they know the, the steps and each click that's involved. Whereas if you start midway through the combo, they might not be able to intuit it in time to be able to mm -hmm. interact. And it's also in worth noting that in several combo variations, like if you draw, if you draw, let's say you draw like reanimate, um, if you have like one extra mana, then you can play Spellseeker and then tutor a counter spell and then continue your combo there. So you actually like your combo with when you have like an advantageous position, you know, you have more than just the bare minimum requirements. You only have to expose a creature spell to getting countered and then you can actually build in protection into your combo line. Right. And also, yeah. Spellseeker getting countered is not like a solution to the combo because you can just reanimate it. You're playing like three right. or four reanimates in the deck. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm willing to concede that it that I'm wrong, but I I just to me, it just like I I don't see the the reason to play this over like I don't know consultation cast. Like a uh, four just, mana one card win con is the is the reason. It's the reason. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly uh, you could get into more nuanced arguments. Uh, you know, like Kess kind of has in her own way, a five mana one card win con, depending on how you build the deck in Adnaz. So perhaps, you know, like requiring Spellseeker is not necessarily like all that important or, you know, having that one card win con is not that important. You know, I, I think you can kind of probably argue back and forth uh, and, and not really come to a satisfactory conclusion on that point because I do think that, like, Inala's card quality is high enough um, and just having an extra one card win condition that is slightly more efficient, you know, is enough reason f to play the deck or to like consider the deck, um, you know, over one of the other options in Grixis, you know, it kind of puts it at least, if not at the exact same level, at least at like a very, very close level such that like, you know, you could make the case that it boils down to personal preference. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I really don't, know how productive it is yeah. to really like right, argue about right, which right. one is better and and in it in, 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 yeah it's saying better and i just those are my opinions and, and the other thing is too i have three of the most like well-spoken and probably some of the smartest people in cdh telling me i'm wrong so i'm willing to admit when i'm wrong you know i i i just i i don't it it 
it doesn't sit well with me the deck um like i i i get what all of you are saying it just i i just like i think this means that we need to add it to uh one of our gameplay shows i mean yeah, exactly. we we did and it yep. you know and i beat it <laughs> yeah i blame pongo oh okay <laughs> oops Never but i mean it, it you know i i i and not to go too far off you know i we do need to kind of move on to some extent, but we're moving you know, to John, right? Well, yes, to John. But when one final thing to to defend myself, right, is you know, <laughs> in in my defense, I also think you shouldn't be playing chains and get rog. Also, but Wait, that's me. What? That's that's absurd. Oh boy, I. <laughs> We don't have time to go into that. We, can we need to have about another discussion. Time. It's but, a stacks piece and a combo piece. What? Let's, right. I, the, let's just that say also post- beats Linvala and Curse Totem. That makes no L- sense. Like, comment, and subscribe if you disagree with Callahan. <laughs> and, don't forget, and don't forget to leave a comment letting um, us know how you disagree with him. I, a link to our Patreon. Yeah. yeah. I am totally willing to... I, I'm not saying I'm right, I'm saying this is how I feel. Oh, I'm um, saying you're not right. I'm sorry. I'm like, <laughs> I am saying you're wrong. I mean, I, I, I again, I come back to if I need a flow chart to understand how the, <laughs> this works. Like, I, 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 I don't want to be playing that. It, it's already hard enough to play Get Rog, right? You know, we don't. Is I it, don't need to add in. Like, I do. I, I feel like, like I have did to you do feel my the same thesis. Way about Flash Hulk? Like, they, there were like charts no, made fuck. of like, oh, I drew my piece. What do I get? What's the backup? But that's oh, there's a so much totem. more intuitive. It's so much more intuitive to figure out what to do with Flash Hulk pieces than it is to do with because because even you know Shuffle Hulk maybe probably was the worst at it, but it. it Figuring out how to get around that is so much easier than trying to learn how to read Chains of Mephistopheles. Like, it's... I, I do think we need to move on to yes. Jund, but Wait. I did have an idea, a great idea for a new piece of content. It's going right. to be, uh, you know, CDH hot take battle arena. <laughs> stylize it stylize yeah. it as if it's like a, a boxing arena. Get the, the bell going. And all, all of that. Callahan's takes I, and why he's Callahan wrong. comes in with a take <laughs> and then we just start beating him. I, I, hot I, take yeah. combo. Before, before we move on to Jund, I do have to say, I think Vile Smasher plus Malcolm has been overshadowed in Commander yes. Legends, but having a one-card combo with the Commander, like Malcolm combos with Glintorn Buccaneer, having a one-card combo that you can consult and Tainted Pact for is, like, something we've never seen before. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, other than Najila. <laughs> I guess, yeah, Najila. But, I mean, the the requirements, you know, like... You, there's different requirements. There's, there's yeah, different yeah. requirements and... But yes. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll give you this. Kess is worse than Anala, and here's why. Oh, I the don't primer, think that. Oh no. I, okay, <laughs> but here, here's my reasoning: is because uh, I'm looking at the the primer and the consultation primer. No, it's on <laughs> tappedout.net. Oh no. So on that alone, it is worse than Anala because Anala is yeah, on, on tapped out. When you play test and you click on a card in your hand, it automatically goes into play. <laughs> Yeah, but right. you it can't avoids do the stack else. entirely, so it's more difficult for it to be disrupted. <laughs> no, it's just way more convenient for playtesting. You don't have to drag everything around all the time. So you know, like I, 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 I tried to um, transition to this earlier, um, but you know, we we've been talking about Black Red quite a bit here, and you know, 
we would be remiss if we did not talk about Corvold. I mean, Jund. I tried making... You see, the, the joke doesn't work as well now, guys. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe if you didn't pop off too early, then the jokes would work better. Well, you know, whatever. Um, but anyway... So, maybe if you didn't pop off so early, you wouldn't be a joke. Oh, <laughs> that was hard. God Our, damn, man! This is my show after Jund. all. Yeah. <laughs> deep. I can't. Brush. I can just not invite you back. <laughs> um, but you know, when we we, we talk about Jund, uh, everybody really wants to talk about Corvold. Um, and we actually, speaking of which, Pongo and I did do. Uh, an episode uh, with Braden from CDH cast about Corvold, and that's going to be coming up here uh, shortly uh, in the next few days. So, um, you know, when we talk about Corvold and we talk about, because really ultimately Cobblepot, right, is when we're talking about Jund, the, the discussion ends up boiling down to Corvold, right? Uh, for the most part, yeah. Corvold is, the, is I think, the, the first commander that people are going to be looking at when they're in Jund. I mean, uh, historically, you had you had Prosh, so uh, that was kind of your, your your go-to food chain commander for for a really long time. But um, those days have have kind of long passed, and so nowadays uh, in the contemporary scene, you're going to see Corvold either in a food chain capacity or in a kind of an all-in Turbonaz kind of a, a, a framework. So. <clears throat> I really think you're so, selling Zira Arian short. I mean, I, I I only got to see it that one time, and uh, it it didn't win. So if, oh, if zero you had out of ten. To, okay, fair oh, enough. Oh wow. <laughs> Anyways, so um, going color by color. So green gives you access to 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 your turn one dorks, which means that you're gonna. You know, as we've said before, going to have more reliable mulligans because you're going to have more uh, early hands that you'll be able to keep without having to, to mulligan aggressively to have things to do on your turn ones. You're also going to have good tutors to get creatures. Uh, in Jund, the, the the main creature you're going to be looking for is going to be Dockside. Uh, the the R, as as we've talked about, you know, the 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 red color of the pie has just gotten really really explosive in the past 12 months. And uh, it's it's really notable here. It's you know your your access to Dockside Extortionist, your access to Jessica's Will. Those things are going to be doing uh, a huge amount of work in especially the the really aggressive kind of turbo builds that you're going to be seeing in Jund. And dovetail into that, you've got the you know your 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 black tutors as well, which means that you're going to be able to, um, as we've said before, under black, be able to kind of have a bottom up builds around uh, finding a very specific combo, assembling it quickly. Now, we don't have blue here, so we can't protect it on the stack the, the way that we could otherwise. Um, really, the, the protection that we have access to is the, you know, a Veil of Summer or Autumn's Veil, that kind of thing, and the Red Elemental Blast, Pyroblast, and Deflecting Swat. <clears throat> a lot of times, that's going to be enough to get us there, but uh, we just have to, to recognize that we will probably get disrupted more often just because of our, our lack of depth in that and it just means that we need to to build in more resilience and uh more recursion which luckily 
because we've got green and black, we're going to have more access to. So recursion can, in some cases, uh, take the, sh uh, the shape of reanimation, and we can build lines around reanimation. Uh, but we can also, you know, under green, we have access to regrowth, noxious revival, and those sorts of things as well. And we, with red, have access to underworld breach. So we can mitigate and even kind of accentuate the fact that we can be aggressive, allow ourselves to, to, or be able to accept the fact that we may get disrupted and be able to keep on going because of the fact that recursion is supported by all three colors that we have available to us. So um, the, the, because we have red and black as well, we've got you know, kind of the, all of the mainline aggressive kind of combo pieces that uh, you, you see Kind of in the metagame, you got your Adnaws, you got Peer into the Abyss, you got access to, to Necropotence, you got access to Underworld Breach. All of those support the Turbo lines. And uh, Food Chain, you know, especially under Corvold, is, is, is another very uh, efficient and reliable way to win, uh, coupled with you know, our, our commander in the command zone. Um, a lot of people are also playing around. I, I don't have a lot of experience with this, so somebody else can, can pick up the torch there, but uh, Conspicuous Snoop and Kiki-Jiki, those sorts of combos, uh, they're, they have more moving pieces, but they can... Uh, I, my understanding is that they can, you know, uh, they can be pretty mono-efficient in being able to uh, get things... Uh, get, get their win-con moving while only really needing one card to get it started, so... If it's the goblin, you know, goblin recruiter, or whatever one card combo it is that that grabs all of your 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 goblins and puts them on the stack, you're off and running. Did somebody want to speak more to Kiki Jiki and conspicuous Snoop? I think I think that Snoop, um, like, I think that what we'll see eventually is that it really only sees play. I mean, like with. With black, you can often just tutor for better win conditions. Right, I would um, think that. So, like, the, the fact that you have, like, a one-card creature tutorable win con is great if you're in, like, Gruul or Teamer or something like that. Um, but I think that, like, it is a lot of pieces. The requirements aren't, like, particularly low, especially because you need a lot of red mana. Now, admittedly, red mana is getting easy to generate better. like it used to be that a lot of decks you know like with red in them red was like a splash and so you know you look at a card you're like oh this combo line requires like four red mana like okay i'll pass um now that's less of an issue um but it is and like it it also suffers from drawing pieces uh very heavily um so I, I don't imagine we'll be seeing a lot of Snoop in Jund. But I think one of the other one of the other one of the things we might see going forward is um Dargo based brews. Uh because That's the giant that sacrifices everything when he comes into play. Yeah. Um because uh, a one mana seven CMC <clears throat> creature uh has some some stuff you can do with it. Um, you can obviously like Eldritch Evolution it into Razaketh or whatever. Um, it's insanely strong with things like Greater Good and Life's Legacy, and then uh, Sacrifice and Burnt Offering as well. Um, right. So you can have this like 
you know, you, you sacrifice, like you tap some dorks, you sacrifice them, you cast Dargo, you cast Sacrifice, and then cast Peer into the Abyss, or whatever, like, enabling these, like, super explosive turns, uh, with, with the, abusing, basically, the CMC of Dargo. (laughs) That makes sense. I'm just off in the corner, uh, you know, like, setting my layered Corvold Hulk uh, conspicuous snoop deck to private don't mind me <laughs> <laughs> is that actually a thing i'd, I'd be interested to hear it about is, it just because it I is a deck so that i have uses. yeah that i've built really <clears throat> yeah somewhere um, amy joe is uh not enjoying this conversation <laughs> <laughs> i so i, I don't know i i, I kind of feel the same about uh you know snoop as i do as i do about anala but in a much more aggressive way where I, I feel like Snoop is horrifically average. That's fair. Um, I don't, I wouldn't stand by and say that this is like the best way to build Corvold. It was more a proof of concept than anything. Um, so basically the idea, you know, being the, the main idea being that um, it is a Protean Hulk deck um, so when you sack Protean Hulk, it's you know fairly trivial to set up your conspicuous Snoop piles. Um, so that's sort of one axis that you have. You also have just kind of the pure Goblin Recruiter axis. And then you kind of have some interesting layering options where um, with food chain combos, your Goblin Recruiter can also, you know, theoretically go and find your Squee. Uh, it can find your Dockside Extortionist for like more Corvold-oriented plans. There's also just this like idea that like the torch courier that you're playing and then like the you know like sling gang lieutenant or you know whatever whatever other piece you're playing for the conspicuous snoop combo you know these just tend to put bodies in play that you can sacrifice so at worst you can just kind of like cantrip them with corvold um so that kind of like deals with them taking up slots to some degree sling gang Uh lieutenant is basically concentrate Sling Gang Lieutenant is basically concentrate. Also lets you sacrifice Dockside Extortionist so you can, like, you know, like, loop it with reanimation spells, which you want to be playing because of, you know, Corvold and Dockside Extortionist, but you want to be playing them also because of Protean Hulk. Um, And, you know, you can also, like, do some cute things, I guess, with Kiki Jiki where you copy your Dockside Extortionist. I don't know. It's a free country. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess mean, like, America is a free country, right? I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, you get all it? this stuff and, and all these pieces kind of fit together. Um, you know, Natural Order, also not the worst card in Corvold when it's finding Protean Hulk and then, you know, Corvold can sacrifice your Hulk or, you know, you can be playing any number of sacrifice effects that you want to be playing anyway because it's Corvold. Um, but additionally, you can find your team your Sabretooth if you're, you know, going for a more like Dockside oriented combo. So, you know, I, I, like I said, it's there's like certainly like decent theory behind it, but I don't believe that it's better than more straightforward Corvold right. plans. It's more proof of concept than anything, as I said. One thing I have to acknowledge right now is because I'm looking at our show notes um, as we're, we're going through this, and I don't know who it was in all seriousness, who whoever it was who put Prosh into our 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 deck list uh, discussion um well i mean i put there because that it's a it's a historical footnote okay um okay because I, I saw that and i was just like prosh i haven't thought about prosh in a long time 
Well, I, I don't think that anyone has. So Tana Nadir food chain. Am I right? <laughs> um, I don't know. Why, Are you? Why not? I've not heard tell of it. Tell us about so, it. No, yeah, it's, 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 it's not good. Like, so, so the <laughs> advantage is that you get two commanders instead of one, like over Prosh. Uh, and the disadvantage is that you don't have a way to sacrifice your tokens, which makes winning actually surprisingly more difficult in Jund. Like, you can't use Blood Artist. You can't use Mayhem Devil. Um, but it was just like an interesting comparison because Nadir serves the same function as Prosh in that he makes infinite mana with food chain alone and like not using a cast from exile creature, uh, which is a little bit like, which, which is how Prosh works. Um, and so it was like an interesting, you know, we got a second one of those, like we've got three cast from exile creatures and then we finally got like a second Prosh, but, uh, I was I was joke. I don't think it's very good in, uh, in Jund because Tana's not actually good, and it is actually a lot harder to win than with Prosh because you have like many of the outlets that work with Prosh don't work with uh, with Nadir. So, and it, it's sorry, Cobble. What were you gonna say? I I was just gonna pose a question about um, tempo in terms of the that's the types of things that that jund is going to want to be doing um in kind of my just kind of overview i was saying that it it really lends itself to being very very aggressive and having the tools to recover from getting disrupted in you know in the, in the face of you know being aggressive does are are there lists or have people you know tried brewing anything in jund that isn't a aggressive, you know, either all in on food chain or all in on turbo nas. Uh, is there a cause in the, the the jund color pie to do something that's more of a grindy game plan? Um, so I there's been <clears throat> some sort of like more like slower reanimate stuff. Um, like you you have pretty efficient Razaketh combos. Um, and then um, historically, Necroticus has had some play there. So, uh, who is the? Is it Gyrus Waker of Corpses? I remember when yes. he came out, Gosh, yeah. people tried some stuff. Um, but I, I don't think I think that like, I mean, at the time, uh, Flash Hulk was all the rage, and so you know, Reanimator was like, when every other deck was either like on Flash Hulk. And therefore taking advantage of the graveyard better than you, or on like Graft Digger's Cage and Rest in Peace and like right. that all that stuff, it was not particularly effective. Um and it wasn't a my supporting guess environment. Still isn't, because things are now just so much faster. But there there has been some experimentation. I I, I think it's very interesting because you know you were talking about the pace of you know Jund and to me Jund feels like it's you know going as fast as it like it feels like Sonic the Hedgehog to me because it feels like it's trying to go as fast as possible all the time um, and every turn it's actively trying to win the game um, 
and and perhaps that's maybe me having a lot of experience playing uh, against these like turbo Nas Corvold lists that attempt to threaten a win like every turn that they're you know playing past like or before like turn five, um, and if you can kind of hold them off until then, you they kind of run out of gas and then just sit there. Um, but it it really just feels like uh, of all the colors. Which is hilarious because we were just talking about how fast Grixis uh, with Roger is, but I really feel like Jund is just real fast, uh, and and that's really kind of and, and the reason I feel like it's fast uh, overall is you know you've got the the green creatures, so you can leverage both your creatures, artifacts, and red rituals and black rituals. Um, and so you kind of get this like perfect storm almost of like acceleration and, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's, that's kind of my like take. Uh, on I guess it. people in also view, did wind grace things. I think a bit, they weren't like good, but they existed. Right. None like of you had the, the pleasure of getting to play against a prosh storm, eh? You know, way back, like maybe three, four oh, years sure. ago. Oh yeah. I did not. Long ago, Wait, probably, like, probably prosh, more. What, what do you mean, prosh, prosh storm. storm? So this is this. Oh, is was this bit. like fecundity? Well, I mean, obviously, yes, it played fecundity. Um, at least the, oh, the person boy. I knew in my local playgroup who played this deck played fecundity. But no, actually, um, a big card that was that was actually played in this deck was uh, the Great Aurora. Um, oh, yes, which I, I don't know. <laughs> Hold on, I don't no, know if you're aware what that card stop. does, but stop. each player okay. shuffles all cards from his or her hand and all permanents he or she owns into his or her library, then draws that many card cards. Uh, each player may put any number of land cards from his or her hand onto the battlefield. What so the heck? What what Prosh does that makes this card, you know, asymmetrical is that he puts a ton of creature tokens onto the battlefield which means that if you've cast prosh uh those creature tokens get seen going back into the deck even if they like poof and disappear so you're essentially drawing at least an extra six cards off of the great aurora that no, you know no one else gets to do um additionally you know core uh sorry prosh makes your uh, gaia's cradle like okay. turbocharged I'm which is kind saying, of what this deck does i'm just saying i think if you want to draw six cards over your opponents you can do there's, that for less than you nine mana. <laughs> well, yes, 100% I agree. Um, this feels like a dark, phoenix were, meme to me. These were the dark <laughs> times, you see, um, when when people used to, you know, play kind of like, you know, decks that they enjoyed to play as opposed to decks that they <laughs> The that dark they have times to play. when people had fun. It was the worst. <laughs> the dark <laughs> times when people had fun playing, you know. A wider variety of decks and and the power level of the format was not so absurd that uh, you know you could occasionally get away with doing this yeah i'm actually um, i was very familiar when you said the great aurora because uh no matt my podcast mate has a wart deck that has oh like Lord. its win was like it would just cast like infinite great auroras and then <laughs> like use, use it like cast it copy it you know put stuff into play cast a copy spell from hand and just like chain it become like a mega ritual and then just kill with like comet storm or something at the end of it all oh my God. but just like resolving 17 great auroras in a turn was like make it stop <laughs> please <laughs> reeling miserable. it back in um 
I, I, I think just to, to respond, Callahan, to, yeah. to what you were saying, um, as far as tempo is concerned, I, I think that the fact that John lacks blue and, and has white. access... And, and I white. think you need one of blue or white to go slow. Like, white has all the permanent base disruption, and then blue has all the counter magic, and then mm-hmm. you don't have right. either of that in Jund. Right. So, it's... it. On the one hand, um, it, it doesn't have the tools to play kind of Drago, you know, control interaction kind of stuff. And it has access to green and has access to red and black. So you've got all of the really fast rituals. You've got all of the, you know, the mana positive action available to you. And you can't really play that kind of, you know, sitting back reactive kind of a game. So you might as well turn it up as fast as you can and play the most aggressive game you can because you don't really have a lot of incentive to do something that's different from that. Right, right. Which is right. not to say that you can't grind because Corvold can grind incredibly well. It just means that if you're in a situation where you're um, not like forced into grinding, that is to say that like you know somebody's put down stacks and that's slowing down everybody. You know, you let's say you fizzled and, and now you're trying to catch up. Um, it, 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 when you're in that spot, it's pretty rough to be playing. Um, to be playing this color combination, also, to be playing Jund, because again, yeah, you don't have those reactive tools. Also, I think I do think it's somewhat important to differentiate. Corvolt grinds really well, and I don't think that's the same <laughs> thing as Jund grinding really well. I right. I mean, that being said, you know, sure, but just like point of this discussion is, you know, is, the, the is wedge Corvold in and of Jund. itself doesn't give you great grind tools. You happen no. to have a commander who's an insane card advantage engine, right? right. And, and that kind of is a big part of the reason why Corvold, I think, has kind of become the face of Jund and CEDH. Why I right. love Gilded Drake and Corvold. Right. Mayhem Devil is a really good grinding card, and mm-hmm. it's absurdly broken in in Corvold, just because of the way that it dovetails into being able to destroy it, you know, disrupt everybody else and keep drawing cards off of doing Man, that. I should go find the podcast episode where I was like, guys, Mayhem Devil's really good. And everyone was like, eh. I was like, it can hit anything. They're like, eh. I feel I like still kind of feel that way. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it goes in like the fastest decks, but it's every time I've seen it played, it's like, oh, this makes it incredibly difficult to do anything with creatures. Right. Right. Which admittedly is like maybe not where the meta is right now, but like in times where the meta was there. Um, yeah, and- I agree with that 100%. I think that's kind of the biggest reason why I say eh now is because, as you correctly pointed out, the meta has kind of moved away from the, the types of things that Mayhem Devil really oppresses. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of priests and bloom tenders to be pinging off. It's interesting. Right. Um, you know, it's funny because we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, kind of the um, juxtaposition of, we were talking about this with Bant, of, you know, this color combination in other formats is really good. Um, and Jun's obviously really good in CDH. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is Jund sans Corvold. So you, we're, we'll, we'll say Corvold has been gilded, draked away. Um, you know, like, it doesn't play a mid-range game very well. Whereas, you know, like, very famously in modern, Jund plays that game incredibly well. 
um, which, you know, comes back to maybe something we can talk more on in another video, but this kind of juxtaposition of these traditional um, kind of ideas that you have from, you know, playing magic competitively and modern or legacy or whatever, um, and then coming to CDH and it's like this whole different ball game. Um, Cause you know, like, like you don't really think about Jund in a grind. Like if you were to compare like Jund in modern, to any CDH deck, it would probably be like CST. Now, in fairness, like Jund has had its share of combo stuff in other formats. Like Jund has formed the basis of, um, like Dredge was was a Jund deck, right? Um, Hogak was a a Jund deck, so it, it's not without precedent, I would say. But yeah, like they're the sort of the green black base, like the rock deck that's just right. Like, really efficient removal and like some some you know solid mid-rangey creatures um the like super efficient card quality type decks don't really translate in the same way right um so you know unless one thing you know as we kind of you know we talked about red green here um moving on to our you know kind of final you know, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of this, like, blue, white, green, um, and, like, comparing it to Soul Tie, why would you play that instead of the black? Now you come to Naya, which I feel like has very, like, you know, there's there's Atla, which I don't, Atla's not even on the database anymore. Um, uh, it might be going back on. It went a while without an update, but then it got an update, so... Gotcha. Yeah. I, so... So there's Atla, Marath Stacks is on there. So Spleen, you know, what is it with Naya that, you know, if you're going to go into Naya, why do you want to? And what are some of the warning signs going into it? I mean, I think that I'm pretty confident in saying Naya is the worst three color combination, or is the three color combination made up of the three worst colors? Um, maybe, you know, people could argue about the internal consistency and synergy of some other color combination, but, like, white, I think, is pretty comfortably the worst card, and people will go back and forth on, I think, um, green versus red, but I think most people would agree that blue and black are the best colors, then it's green and red, and, you know, some people might put them level, someone might say green's better than red, someone might say red's better than green... And then white's the worst. Um, and so you're just not, like, it's a very unappealing start. Um, and then, like, we've talked a lot about, you know, what green, particularly green decks without blue, uh, often share a lot of stuff. You know, this this creature focus, uh, leveraging the creature tutors, permanent-based win cons, not super great uh, interaction uh, the green-white decks uh, tend to lend themselves towards stacks and hate bears. Um, luckily, Marath is like actually a card that lends itself very nicely to that. Um, but uh, you know, you are like stacks is also very difficult to play because you um, you just don't like 
depending on what you come up against, you might need completely different pieces, right? Like, you go, okay, I'm going to put in, like, okay, I'm going to play Collector Roof because it's super accessible. And then you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm playing Stony Silence and I'm playing Null Rod. Like, we're really going in on the artifacts here. And you know what? I'm going to put a Meltdown in here just to, like, really hammer that home. And then you come up against, like, you know, some... You come up against, like, Razakats. And it's like, oh, well... I'm not really interfering with you at all. So then you're like, okay, back to the drawing board. Okay, we're we're jamming in. Like, we're playing Rest in Peace. We're playing uh, Containment Priest. We're playing, like, you know, we're trying to get Linvala into play. And it's like, oh, I'm playing against, you know, like, I'm playing against Xur. Okay, well, and, and so it's very difficult. Like, you have to know what it is you're playing against when you build your deck and when you play it and you can't always know what you're going to be playing against when you build the deck um and then your your game plan like you you don't have particularly good interaction even like obviously blue interaction is insanely strong but even among other color combinations your tools aren't like great um i would say like like the Black's interaction is not actually very good, but the green-black interaction is quite good. Um, and you don't have access to that. Uh, so, like, you don't have your Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy-type stuff. You have a couple of the red, like, you have your Blasts and you have Silence. Um, but you're not going to be stopping. You know, if someone casts Ad Nauseam, it's like, don't look at me, guys. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to be playing permanent-based disruption, um, which is... You do have Silence. You do have silence, yes. Um, but, I mean, silence isn't even that great a counter to Adnaz. Like, you know, they're just like, okay, well, it's not ideal, but I'll Adnaz myself down to 10, sculpt a, you know, a 7 that's like two different ways to win and three counter spells, and then, you know, go for it next turn. Um, right. So, yeah, like, you're, you're really playing to the board, um, and, like, Marath was always very nice because um, the the big issue with playing to the board is that you can't like it's hard to answer creature spells like you're or like it's you can't play anti creature stuff right like if you're playing Wraths then like you're gonna just be destroying your you know you're in like a thirty creature deck you're not playing Pyroclasm um, and so Marath was really nice historically because he was creature she he was creature hate in the command zone. Um, yeah, like when you you know you you you're playing, you're like okay, artifacts are shut down, and like there's a rule of law, and then you just look over, and the person has like priest of Titania tapping for eight and a Thrasios, and you're like, this is a problem, <laughs> Rip. Um, which which Marath does actually solve, but now the meta is also moving away from that a little bit. Now I do think that the meta is moving in such a way that playing rule of laws and playing artifact hate is getting stronger. Um. But I think that if you're not looking to specifically hate on creatures, which Red is very good at, then I think that that strategy is probably going to move into Abzan. Where, where like, yeah. the Black Tutors and also um, cards like Fiend Artisan uh, and then having the, the better removal with Abrupt Decay and uh, an Assassin's Trophy... Um, and slightly better win cons because you can play like a better reanimate strategy and not 
either you're not relegated to playing either like kiki combos or beats or like the marath combos that really aren't very good um so i think that anti-artifact anti-storm hate like decks if the meta continues to move away from creatures we'll probably move into abzan let me ask this question um so if you're sitting down and you're you're trying to give a elevator pitch as Cobble likes to kind of go with all the time, right? Don't. Um, what'd you say? Don't. <laughs> the, eleva- the elevator pitch <laughs> don't is do don't. It. So you <laughs> have don't to get. Denia. Well, let me say say this. You're trying to convince me to play Marith uh, stacks over Meta Pop. But, but let's say you are. Get, I, I need you to just. <laughs> I really play can't along put myself in bit. this position. <laughs> Any of you, just play along. Okay. Um, okay. You're trying to t- convince me that here is where Marith stacks is better than Metapod. In in and it doesn't mean overall, but in what situation would you want to be in that over this? In and is there a reason overall to kind of be in Naya versus just going to the Sands Blue. So I think that playing, uh, like, if you're in a situation where being able to play Blood Moon is very good, uh, then that would have been a good reason to do it. Um, I think that Blood Moon lost a lot of ground when Dockside was printed because it's like it's red first of all mm-hmm. uh, and then it just solves your color issues so efficiently um, so like there was a time when I think it was possible that it was going to be Blood Moon's moment um, but I think Dockside kind of made that less true uh, and then Marath itself is like excellent for controlling opposing creature decks uh, which is right. which is a tool that I think like Metapod has somewhat struggled to deal with. Like you, your opponents put scary creatures on the board, like and when I say scary, I don't mean they're like gonna you know attack you and kill you. I mean like big mana engines or or card advantage, and like barring your few pieces of removal, there wasn't actually a lot you could do about it. And I think Marath does like deal with that quite nicely um i i yeah sorry to to interrupt you there spleen but if i could just jump in um i think you raise a very good point and you know to callahan's um you know hypothetical uh i could imagine you know theoretically telling somebody to play marath if they're like in a meta that's absolutely dominated by these like creature-based stack strategies so if, if everybody else is playing like Tim Natana stacks or, you know, I don't know, Derevi or other stuff like that, then you could easily build a Marath deck that kind of goes over the top of those decks and is also able to like selectively remove their hate bears when it needs to, or, you know, like make sure that they can't get too far ahead on board such that you win in the long game that you're all kind of playing toward. Um, and then you can selectively keep answers for, you know, people's like win attempts that you know hopefully that no one will actually even be able to even able be able to pull off because of like the sort of combined pressure of stacks that inevitably ends up on the board in a pod like that um these are not pods that we really see anymore mm-hmm. um you know this is a, a meta that you could occasionally run into 
I would say, you know, three, four years ago, you know, more on the four years ago and now and, and possibly even before that, um, when when, you know, the fastest decks in the format were their their top speed and their sort of top power was certainly not where it is today, uh, such that, you know, playing a stacks deck, you kind of came in on more even ground right from the start, um, which meant that, you know, you could conceivably imagine being in a pod where two people are playing stacks um, because, you know, these decks are a little bit better positioned. And, and as soon as there's two stacks decks in the pod, then like, you know, all bets are off, right? Because even the fastest decks can sometimes fold to uh, to two stacks decks at the pod, uh, in the pod. But you know that happens a lot less these days because you don't want to be the one person playing stacks against three super super fast decks, uh, and that happens you know sort of all too often that everybody else wants to be jamming these super proactive strategies. Um, you know, to what Morgan was talking about before, um, I I think that you know we can kind of like accurately sum this up with a, a saying that is, that is often bandied about uh, in magic and particularly in 60 card contexts um, where you know it's it's hard to have the wrong threat but it's quite easy to have the wrong answer um, so this applies in, in my mind very very well to stacks where you know, you'll occasionally find yourself with a hate bear that stops one or two of your opponents and then ends up handing the game to somebody else uh, or, you know, some stacks piece that, that does the same. Um, and this problem, as, as Morgan was talking about, is further compounded in Naya because you don't have access to black tutors such that you, you can't really, you know, easily um, find your silver bullets after you've mulliganed and, you know, presumably kept it at least one silver bullet that's going to attack one of your other opponents you know so where you're you're less likely to find yourself in that position where oh i need exactly i don't know hushbringer and uh collector oof to attack this table um you know naya obviously with creature tutors can address that to some extent but like it's not gonna be nearly as consistently able to pull off that plan um compared to color combination that just has way more tutors and way more access to those silver bullets another piece there too is that the when when marath stacks i think was at its best and that this is kind of going to to what spleen said was was before the printing of dockside extortionist so um it it marath stacks wasn't just about hate bears it was also largely invested in uh mana denial so um the, the ones that I remember were, you know, running things like Blood Moon effects and they were running uh, Winter Orb effects and things like Living Plane to animate lands and then use Marath's ability to just shoot lands down as creatures and then, you know, keep people from having access to, to, to land resources. The, the the printing of Dockside Extortionist has, has really made it such that the the viability of, of really all of those pieces has has completely tanked so not only do you not see blood moon but you also really don't see winter orb you really don't see you know th th those types of strategies because um they, they don't do enough anymore to be able to hold people off of the strategies and because of the fact that dot side extortionist is such a huge part of the metagame you can you can just basically count on that type of stacks not having any effect in most of the metagame 
Right. Well, and we 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 have definitely discussed before um, how specific, you know, how does Doxite, you know, I don't want to, you know, kind of go over, you know, retread ground that I've kind of, we've all kind of touched on, but, you know, the Blood Moon stocks have certainly gone down um, as as the strength of uh, Doxide has gone up. And so, and, you know, and they're all really valid points. Um, as we kind of wrap things up, um, you know, we've talked a lot tonight about you know these shards so overall we've 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 gone over every shard um we've gone over every wedge and uh you know i'm gonna ask this question you know of all of these which combination you know do you guys like and give me like a, a brief reason why which one is your is the one you'd want to be on if you had to be on a three-color uh, combination. Um, and we'll start it off with uh, Spleen Face. You know, Spleen, if you had to pick uh, one of the wedges or shards, which one are you on and why? Um, the shard slash wedge in and of itself, I'd pick Sultai, but I'd probably go Grixis because the commander options are, are better. Okay. But if, if it was, like, some weird thing where I could play, like, whatever commander I wanted or the commanders somehow didn't matter that I would go Sultai for like, I think it has the, the best card quality and, and, uh, tools. Okay. Uh, Cobble, where would you go? I, I would say Grixis. Um, if the, I, I think in order to, to, to play the game that, that, that I like to play, uh, the, the hate strategies in particular, those are, more four color and five color so mm -hmm. if if constrained to three colors grixis is the, is the place that i'm going to go and okay. uh for all of the reasons that we've illustrated kind of ad nauseum and that was a lie. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's um, positioning in the metagame and the, the tools that it has access to it, right. and the, the the fact that it's got the best speed right uh so pongo um wh where would you land well, if I was picking a shard to, to live on, it would certainly be Bant, because I feel like I would die, like, literally anywhere else. They would just, I would get murdered. Wait, but the um, cats can't talk on Bant. They talk on okay. Naya. I, I don't want talking cats. I just want I just want the cats to, to be my friends. Um, but, but, yeah, so if, if I would actually have to play one of the shards uh, slash wedges, um, yeah, 100% what Cobble said. Uh, and you know he took the words right out of my my mouth when he said that uh, uh, if I was looking at one of the other shards slash wedges, I would probably need to add a color to feel really compelled to playing them. Um, whereas Grixis has it all, everything that it needs at least, just in those three colors. And then when you add on other colors, sure, you know you get other options. Uh, you know in theory you can get some incremental type of improvement. Um, with with the access to the additional cards, but but your core is going to be Grixis, and and that is going to be powerful enough on its own. Everything else is kind of just icing on the cake. Well, excellent. Um, well, it's been great talking to you guys over uh, a combination of the past four hours over the last two weeks. Uh, a lot of really great insights, uh, despite my awful takes. Um, <laughs> we love you. you. Know, 
I, I listen. I I've said this before, and I and I think I might, uh, you know, not to be redundant, but you know, I I I don't claim to be this like genius, um, really well skilled deck builder and knew all this stuff about magic and I'm really great. Uh, I just, I'm really good at editing video and hosting. Uh, so I just, you know, kind of provide the platform for you guys. I feel like a lot of times, um, but you know, it's like I said, it's, it's great having you on. I love your insights and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say, you know, we're, I'm glad that you guys are some sculpty boys with me. <laughs> Um, I appreciate that. Flattery yeah. will get you everywhere. It really does. Say. I I wish it was flattery, but you know, it's just me being genuine. <laughs> well, we we love you too. Oh well, thanks. <laughs> um, with that, uh, just a couple of reminders. Like uh, like uh, as Pongo said earlier, and I have been neglecting to mention uh, throughout videos, uh, throughout our month and a half long history. Make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, really helps us out and uh, keeps us going. Uh, but as well with that, make sure to check out the Patreon. Um, I'm not sure if the Patreon's going to stay the way it is uh, for very much longer. Um, so stay tuned for what that really is going to look like in the future. But uh, for the interim, uh, if you are watching and listening to this in the December times um, here in 2020, uh, for the time being, uh, for $2 a month, you can get access to our Discord server where you can come talk to me, Cobble, Pongo, uh, maybe Spleenface if he decides to come and, you know, talk well, once in a while. Um, yeah, I have to but, come uh, down from my ivory tower and <laughs> come slum with the rest of us. Um, you know, and there's other cool people in there too, who, uh, are either guests or going to be guests. So, uh, plenty of reason to come in there and, uh, uh, we really appreciate it as well as the, the, the Patreon does help us out a lot. Uh, so we would greatly appreciate that. Um, with that being said, thank you guys for tuning in and thank you all for joining us this week. Uh, we will be back here again next week and uh, same time, same bad channel. So with that, I'm Callahan and uh, we'll see you next week.